Friendship power flop. Friendship power flop. Let's go shonen flop. Let's go shonen flop. Welcome to this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series in Shonen Jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. And this week, we're talking about Agamaga Doki Zoo. What, did I say that right? You mean Omega Doki Zoo? Yes. Mega Dookie Zoo. Oh, spoilers for what I thought of this series. <laughs> Jordan's like, oh god, this man is almost 30 years old and he just made a Dookie joke. <laughs> but let's get into it and in that we are joined by the ever terrific, our first ever international guest, Midnight. Hello! Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Do you mind uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Midnight Cross, so I make videos on YouTube about how to create amazing manga while I'm also working on my own manga called Having Faith. A little note, I really want to thank everyone who's been supporting the show, and I just ask you guys, if you want to help us still be able to make more episodes, we would love it if you guys could just share this episode with a friend of yours or rate us on iTunes. It lets us spread to more people, building up our audience and letting us make better and more content. I still greatly appreciate everyone who's done that so far. It would be real nice of you if you did that. I'd appreciate it a lot. I would thank you. If you came up to me on the street and told me that you shared and uh, rated our show, I would say thank you. That would feel a little <laughs> unsettling, to be honest, but <laughs> please share it. <laughs> Especially if someone came up to you midnight before you were even on the show and they're like, I loved your work on Shonen Flop. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Don't go up to midnight, okay? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too much. Don't fly out to Australia and find midnight and then talk to her about Shonen Flop. She won't exactly. know what to say. It's not fair. <laughs> I kind of was expecting Jordan to somehow like keep escalating, giving out like location information. You're like, don't fly to Australia. <laughs> don't go to Darwin. Don't go to 412 South Wallaby <laughs> Street. Do not go to that greenhouse with the three bushes in front, okay? <laughs> Midnight's shocked because you somehow just exactly described where she lives. <laughs> You basically described all of Australia. (laughs) (laughs) My girlfriend was trying to find out where I lived and I wrote riddles for like what my address was. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it was like a riddle for like my house number, my street and my avenue. (laughs) Fucking Gollum over here. Yeah, it was pretty intense. She solved them with help, but I was still very impressed she got them solved. She had to solve an ARG to do. Yeah. Oh, shit. I never told Andrew about that. He would have loved it. He would have. He literally runs a podcast called the Argonauts or the ARG Knots, as only I apparently am the only person that ever thought that was an acceptable pronunciation for his podcast name. Well, because it would be RG Yeah, Tomato, tomato. <laughs> All right. Getting though into things that no doubt I will not be able to pronounce very well. We are talking about Umaga Duchi Zoo. Omaga. Just accept it, guys. It's just going to be tough to pronounce. Omaga Duchi Zoo. <laughs> there we go. I'm saying Ozu for the rest of the show. I'm not trying again. <laughs> so let's though migrate into the manga details so i wanted to start out by a new thing i'd like to do where i would just love to point out kind of like a really interesting fact that tucker will go into detail in his guide he does this really awesome guide inside content that's going to come out wednesday after this episode drops going into stuff like translation mysteries behind the names and any other little details and in this case something's really interesting about the name of the zoo and then ultimately some of the art locations is they are all based on times so ozu actually in this case translates to essentially the witching hour Ah. and that was a really cool detail i wasn't aware of until i heard talker talk about it i had no idea either so what's fun about the translation that i had you guys might have had and just ignored the translator's notes this is the most personable translator i've ever seen he describes all this but he says it in like a very conversational way and he's like okay so this part doesn't make sense here's why blah 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 and it's just thanks man you really didn't have to tell me that (laughs) <laughs> but I guess thank you. 
Midnight. Our next guest is actually a professional Viz translator. Wow. He actually translated a few series. Most notably, he did Time Paradox Ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So he actually told us some interesting behind-the-scenes details about that series. And also, he is actually the translator for One Piece. So it'll be really interesting to hear from him what it's like to be a professional translator. And I wonder if he actually knew the dude, because, you know, he might have been a co-worker with this guy. I didn't know he translated One Piece. That's amazing. I better fucking catch up on One Piece next time. <laughs> Speaking of very famous Shonen Jump series, Chef's Kiss already getting my translation game on point. This is another work by Horikoshi Kohei, who, as we talked about in Barrage slash Bulge slash, what was the other name for it, Jordan? Bulge of the Warring Planets or something? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This is another work by the guy who made My Hero Academia. This is literally his first published Shonen Jump series, and then the... Second series was got a very ambiguous name where it properly should translate to Bulge, where it's supposed to be like a battle of the Bulge. But obviously, Shonen Jump was not going to publish a series called Bulge in yes. the United States or in the English speaking world. I'm sorry, yeah. I keep forgetting that we're we're worldwide now, thanks to Midnight joining the show. And so they went with the name Barrage because it was like close enough. That's a cooler name. It is cool. It sounds sounds much better. <laughs> but it's also really funny. There's a character in that manga who is technically called Prince Bulge. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's no joke. What a name. I know. Translators do good work, guys. They they work hard. Jordan's going to really suck up because we have a translator next week, so he doesn't want him to listen to this episode and be like, guys, you just don't respect the art form enough. <laughs> I feel like Tucker will have a lot of has a lot of opinions on that. And actually, though, if you guys think that's a cool topic, as I said, check out our Barrage Gaiden episode, which came out a few weeks ago that or I think months ago at this point, where Tucker does a really awesome job talking about what the deal with the title is and other translation decisions that were done for the series. And just to get back into it, the run dates for this series were July 12, 2010 to April 18, 2011 for 38 plus one chapters and five volumes. The plus one is after the series got canceled, they were able to do a bonus epilogue chapter for chapter 39. This is not unusual where, say, a series gets canceled and the final volume is a little too short. Sometimes they'll try and put in other bonus material like the one shot, maybe a different pilot that didn't get picked up. But sometimes they just say, hey, can you just make another chapter? Time Paradox Ghostwriter is another famous example of this. Or even in successful series like Demon Slayer, the writer did, I believe, an extra epilogue and then like a little mini side story one shot chapter about a character that was really popular just to take up space in the volume when it finally got printed. Yeah. I also do want to say, I actually looked it up, and the author was 24 when he started. I didn't usually pay attention to that, but last episode we did Ichi, which was made by the guy who did Soul Eater. And he did that when he was, like, 22, and you could tell. <laughs> like, Soul Eater is just a lot better. Same with this series. This series uh, definitely showed some areas of growth, but maybe not as much, though, as the case of Okubo. Not quite as much. I would love to learn more about what the series is actually about. So, Jordan, why don't you knock things off with your plot summary? Aoihana is a young schoolgirl with a deep love of animals looking to get her first part-time job at a mysterious rundown local zoo in the town of Omagadaki. The entire place appears empty except for the zoo's director, a fun-loving immature man named Sheena, a human that has been cursed by a rabbit ghost to have the body of a cartoon bunny until he makes the most popular zoo in the world. Sheena immediately hires Aoi against her protests and reveals that he can produce smoke which turns animals into anthropomorphic deviant artoses. This includes a 
among many others, a seal in a tuxedo named Igarashi, an awkward gorilla named Gorilla Kong, and the snake hero Uobami from My Hero Academia. After being frustrated at how Sheena works her to death and belittles her, Hana steals some of Sheena's smoke to awaken Shishido, the lion who is the only animal that doesn't like Sheena. After a fight, Sheena shows compassion and worry for Shishido, which briefly makes him human. This series of events is noticed by the nearby Ushimitsudoki Aquarium, which is run by Isana, a human with similar powers to Sheena, except that he was cursed by the ghost of a sperm whale instead of a rabbit. Turns out that Izana, despite making his aquarium extremely popular, is still unable to purge his curse, so the fact that Sheena was able to make progress despite gaining no popularity at all interests him. So he sends a killer whale guy named Sakamata, aka Gang Orca, again from My Hero Academia, to the zoo in order to take it over and force the animals to work as slaves, like you do. Sakamata instead kidnaps Igarashi the seal and the Omega Doki zoo animals pursue him to the aquarium, where they defeat the humanoid sea creatures as well as Isana, allowing the sea creatures to take over the aquarium themselves. Finally going back to school, Hana meets a classmate named Kikichi who works at the Yatsudoki Circus. Kikichi asks Hana if she knows anything about a talking bear, and Hana immediately realizes that the circus has another cursed human. Hana and Shina, along with Shishido, Uwabami, and the timid elephant Kizazo, decide to visit the circus in order to form a partnership, only to discover that the ringleader, a clown named uh, Hiro Michinoke, is evil and wants to capture them. But actually, he was just being manipulated by the real cursed human, Shikuma, the talking bear that Kikuchi mentioned. While fighting Shina, Shikuma reveals that by taking his power back from the animals he transformed, he can gain power at the expense of removing their ability to become humanoid ever again, effectively killing them as characters. Shina is then horrified when his own teammates forcibly give him their own powers to defeat Shikuma, but thankfully, I guess Shikuma was just dumb or wrong or something because they can all turn back to humans anyway with no problem at all, so whatever. <laughs> now victorious, the zoo team returns home and builds partnerships with both the aquarium and the circus, including both directors, because I guess none of this shit actually mattered at all. Shikuma is still evil and mentions that he snitched to some guy named the Lord of Curses, but no one cares because the manga is over. <laughs> Jordan, as always, thank you for buying that bullet. To get into characters, I guess I'll lead things off, though, with talking about the main character, Aoi Hana. Aoi Hana. Actually, uh, Tucker explicitly said it is not pronounced as one syllable, it's three syllables. So he's going to tear you a new one on Wednesday after he hears it. <laughs> he could totally tear me apart however he wants. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes, like, the official translation is not intuitive. Midnight, for example, the main character of Neolation is N-E-O, but according to the rules of Japanese pronunciation, it should be pronounced Neo. Really? Wow. Yes. It doesn't sound as cool as, like, Neo. <laughs> No, so we said, like, Tucker, we two-to-one vote, we are overruling you, and we are going to pronounce it how literally everyone else on the planet would assume N-E-O would be pronounced. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of the issue sometimes, because you're right, that is 100% how um, people in Japan would pronounce that. But yeah. as an English speaker, it's kind of like, you gotta do your best, but, like, you know, if we're talking about it, it's better to find a way that, like, gets it most of the way right, but it's still, like, natural for us to say. Yeah. Yeah, so her name's Aoi. Anyway. Fine, fine, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so she, main female main character, as I'll refer to her for the rest of this episode to be political. Or Hana. Ooh, that's a 200 IQ idea. Yeah. Yeah, Hana. She's the main character. She's very low self-esteem. She loves animals and she just joins the zoo. And then she kind of just stands around reacting 
to people doing stuff or like picking up the pieces like when there's a big fight to like rescue someone she's the one who grabs the person they were rescuing and is like let's get out of here instead of like really attributing anything she grows a little bit in the circus art but ultimately it's like she's not damsel in distress because she doesn't inhibit things she just has no real presence the thing about Hana is that, like, she gets forced to join the zoo. The zoo director, Sheena, who we're going to get to, is a total asshole. She walks in and he just, like, coerces her and forces her to join. Like, the first chapter feels like a horror story if you actually, like, read it. Like, <laughs> it's like she just goes in and this weird monster, monstrous rabbit creature just kind of forces her into, like, this world that she's now terrified of being a part of. And also, you said she has low self-esteem. I would like to be a little bit more specific. She is clumsy. Extremely clumsy. As in, like, the clumsiest person you've ever met. (laughs) In fact, like, the biggest moment for her character arc is at the very end where she's about to fall over and then she just puts her foot out and prevents herself from hitting the ground. And I'm gonna be honest, when that happened, I was like, oh, nice. Good for you, Hana. Jordan shed a single tear. He was just so proud. (laughs) But yeah, she basically exists to when the animals are arguing with each other. She'll just be like, oh, well, this is because elephants are like this or gorillas are like that. And this is what this gorilla needs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do agree that she had her moments where she was a little bit more clumsy, but I did enjoy seeing her as a protagonist. I do wish, though, they went a little bit further with her character and showed her being more involved in the story. I think that would be more entertaining. Absolutely. That is, like, one of the criticisms I want to talk about when we get to our next character. Oh, yes. Sheena, the zoo director, the weird bunny, Bugs Bunny guy, he's a dick, and he's an immature, weird, cursed person because he was turned into a rabbit when he was a young child, and it apparently froze his development, so as a result, he acts very childish. He only wants to do things that are fun and refuses to help at all with the upkeep of the zoo, and is kind of just a terrible boss. One of the issues here is that, I agree, I wish Hana was more of a main character, because what it feels like is that Sheena is the main character and Hana is our point of view character. Yeah, he's just so annoying as a main character. I, I get like that that's on purpose, but it's a very careful line to make a character annoying, but not discouraging to read this series. And I'm trying to think, can you guys think of like a good example of a character that is inherently like on paper annoying, but people aren't annoyed by him if you get what I mean? SpongeBob. Yeah, that's a good example, actually. <laughs> Yeah, so he really needed to be more of a Spongebob, but maybe we're all Squidwards, because everyone's a Squidward in 2021 now. Well, my issue with him is that the manga doesn't seem to realize that he's such a piece of shit. Like, all the animals at the Omega Doki Zoo seem to love him except for the lion. He is actually, like, two characters. There's one character, which is the crazy, like, Bugs Bunny-esque childish guy, and then there's the other version of him, which was in the one-shot where he is a much more, like, uh, level-headed and caring person. And the problem is that throughout the series, he will just suddenly become that more down-to-earth character out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like his character's developing. It just feels like this completely different personality showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. 
it's very inconsistent writing because I think the author just really wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Oh, God. I think there was a lot more they could have done with Sheena's character, mm-hmm. especially in the parts where the author kind of showed Sheena as a human. I thought that was very interesting, but I can also understand it was kind of rushed at the end, but I do wish at the end, like, they could have had Sheena slowly shift to human. I think that would have been really interesting. <laughs> I totally agree. And I think part of that is because the author had no idea it was only going to be 38 chapters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because what will happen is Sheena will do a good deed and then, like, his hand will briefly turn into a human hand and then back to a bunny hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if if the author knew that it was going to end at chapter 38, he could have had it like, oh no, his left hand is just now a human hand. Yeah. Which makes sense because the sperm whale guy seemed to have turned most of himself into human except for, like, one little part of his face. So yeah. all the other characters, when they morph back to human, they seem to stay human, but not Sheena. Yeah. Well, Sheena was kind of a shitty, shitty person. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I did find his mantra where he only does fun things to be very interesting, and that would have been a cool philosophy if he wasn't a piece of shit for every other regard. It's not that um, he's irresponsible, it's that he he's a terrible boss who forces Owie to do literally everything. Yeah. Clean up this rundown zoo that he never he never touched, to make uh, new enclosures for the animals. The animals are all in cages. They'll go to like um, the circus or the aquarium, and they'll be like, oh, this place is so terrible, and like, I've seen Omega Duck zoo guys your zoo also sucks yeah i don't know how they haven't been shut down by the standards <laughs> i don't think they know they exist that's true but i would say why don't we move on to the next character midnight would you like to talk about our favorite lion man who i consider like the star scream of zoo shishido yes yeah yeah shishido basically the lion of the zoo yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's basically who he is <laughs> That actually defines this character where he's literally like, hey, I'm a lion. Lions are assholes. I'm going to be a big asshole. Yeah. He's a lion. 10 out of 10 description. Thing is, it's specifically like, well, you know how lions are like the king of the jungle? Well, he's a king, so he doesn't like the fact that Sheena's the director. He thinks that he should be the director because he's the king. And Sheena obviously disagrees. So they fight. I love how Jordan has like a special way he talks when he thinks like what he's about to say is like super, super smart. Where he'll be like, hey, David, you know, oranges, you can peel them. You didn't <laughs> fucking know that. <laughs> I think you're misinterpreting, David. When I do that, it's because I know that what I'm going to say is stupid, but some people who would say that thinking it's smart. That's what I'm doing. I know that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this is un- we're going to call it 100 IQ Jordan. I'm one layer deeper in terms of irony than you think I am. Damn, I don't even know what level of irony I am at <laughs> anymore. Shit, I was thinking about how like I was on the bus. I posted about on Facebook seven years ago how this dude was wearing an I can't believe I'm not butter jacket. <laughs> Wait, Midnight, I don't know if you're familiar with that brand. I'm vaguely familiar. Okay, so there's this thing called butter in the United States. I don't know if they have that. <laughs> we don't have that. Apparently, there's just there's such things butter in Australia. <laughs> David, you know that I can't believe it's not butter is not butter, right? I can't believe it. (laughs) But anyway, so this dude had a jacket on for a butter alternative brand. And I was like, that shit, people would be unironically wearing that like right now. I would wear that. Streetwear as fuck. Speaking of a well-dressed character, we can talk about this snake lady. Uwabami, who is the most famous character in this entire comic because she is kind of a major character in My Hero Academia. I think King Orca is more iconic. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's fair. It's been a while since I've watched My Hero Academia, so... 
I'm gonna take you guys' uh, opinions on that. But yeah, she's a, she's a snake lady, and she's hot, and there's a rhino character who has a crush on her. She seems responsible. Is there anything else? Also, her, like, existence is inconsistent with how every other animal exists, because he just turns animals into humans, but she's made out of multiple animals. That's true, actually. (laughs) He was clearly going for a Medusa thing, but it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Also, the snakes can come out of her hair and then just turn into normal snakes. Yeah. It apparently makes it harder for her to control her emotions for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, it's like this series almost has some really weird anti-female overtones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not about a very klutzy girl that has low self-esteem that has an abusive boss that probably, if this wasn't kid series, probably would be hitting her when she screws up. No, he he literally hits her when she screws up. He he throws carrots at her like darts. I was going to talk about this in like the the, like thoughts section, but I have noticed this author has a lot of problematic ideas that seem to be covered up. So Barrage Midnight has a very strong anti-immigration theme that he hides because he calls them aliens. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. This comic is a really bizarre, like, interpretation of uh, of the workplace. Like, this isn't really a manga about zoos. It's a manga about working at a company. When we go to um, the other two places, the manga makes a big point of saying these are abusive workplaces. And yes, they 100% are. Absolutely. But so is the zoo. He treats people like shit, doesn't care. Like, Hana cannot go home, basically. She's stuck there. In the one shot, he actually says, yeah, I'll pay you like 10 yen a day. (laughs) Insane. So the only interpretation I can take away from this, because the manga at no point brings that part up, it seems like what he's saying is, yeah, all workplaces are inherently a little abusive, but come on, don't go crazy with it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, before I forget, I also want to say, I think the rhino dude is, like, my favorite character in the series. He's just such, like, a nice guy. He is nice. I think the gorilla's my favorite, yeah. (laughs) That and the gorilla. Okay, and then why don't we transition, though, into, as we're saying, the most famous canon immigrant, I think is the term, from My Hero Academia, the whale man, Midnight. Do you have any thoughts on him? Sakamoto. Gengoka. That was one of my favorite designs in this series. I think my favorite was the sperm whales design. Like, that was cool. But the orcas design was really interesting. But overall, I just thought it was an interesting character. Yeah. I like how his teeth go through his collar. Yeah, yeah. I like how his tie is supposed to look like a tongue. And that's the thing. This guy has some really good character designs. I don't blame him for reusing this guy. It's a very good design, and it works in My Hero Academia. It is. I like the fact that it looked like a suit as well, like the way the orca was designed. It looked like he was wearing a tuxedo. (laughs) He should have had some tuxedo penguins as like his sidekick. Oh my goodness. That would have just been amazing. (laughs) The entire time, by the way, that that thing was happening when he kidnapped the seal, I was expecting him to talk about (laughs) orcas. You know, we eat seals. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They just kind of kidnapped him. Yeah. (laughs) Getting more into that plot, though. So let's talk about Isana, who is the man whale as opposed to the whale man, in that he is 80% man, 20% whale, 100% bad guy, director of the aquarium, same curse, but it seems like there's like a hidden clause in the curse that says you have to have a successful zoo or whatever, but you also need to be a great person. And he's a shitty person, seeing as how he kidnaps people, aquariums kind of shitty anyway and so that's why he can't transform completely into human because he's missing that i guess human element for lack of a better term to stop being an animal kind of like two-face where like 
half of his face is sperm whale and half of his face is human. Mm -hmm. The author, I think, realized that it is difficult to properly put the image of a sperm whale on the proportions of a human, but he does his best. And that side of his face is covered by a diving helmet, not unlike Big Daddy from Bioshock. It was actually my favorite character design out of all of them, I think. I just really enjoyed it. He actually got reused too. There's a My Hero Academia arcade game and they reused this guy. They reused the bear. Oh, I didn't know they used the bear. That's cool. And they seem to have fused Sheena and Hana into like... Some weird hybrid. (laughs) Yeah, into like a zookeeper with like the aesthetic of Sheena. It's kind of strange. That's interesting. There's not a lot of good anime games, except for, like, Fighter Z. Alright, so Jordan, why don't you wrap us up with the main people from the circus? So, at the circus, we got Michinoke Hiru. He is the ringleader of the circus, and he's a huge asshole. He used to be, like, um, a responsible asshole, but now he's just a crazy asshole. Yeah. Because he made a, uh, a deal with Shikuma, the guy with the bear curse. He was basically just like, yeah, I'm gonna bring all your animals to life, and if you tell anybody, I'm gonna kill you and your friends or something. Wow. So, like, um, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I guess he actually is sympathetic. Never mind. He's supposed to be, like, a clown, but he has this really interesting face paint. It looks like he has a second face that's running, like, perpendicular to his actual face. It's really creepy. I actually really like it a lot. I mean, that's what we said. Character designs are not in, in a vacuum or non-issue in this series. The guy's very creative and interesting at what he has, what he comes up with for our characters look. Oh, yeah, for sure. The next character that we should get into, the last guy is Shikuma, who is the uh, human that was cursed by the bear ghost to be a big evil, evil bear. And I don't mean like a, a gay bear, like it's just a, uh, well, I guess he is, he is that style of body too. I was weighing making that joke, so thank you, Jordan, for biting that bullet for me. You're welcome. I, I know, man, I'm here for you. Pretty grisly. <laughs> I was like, oh, if I don't hear from Midnight for the rest of the show, that, that's very reasonable <laughs> for it to have disconnected after that. <laughs> but yeah, the whole circus arc starts because Hana's friend is just like, hey, is it normal for bears to talk? And Hana's like, no. It's like, well, it is normal now. All the other animals talking to me, sir. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People seem to inconsistently be fine with animals talking. Yeah. Like in the first chapter, people try and steal the talking animals and they weren't like, oh my God, these are talking animals. They're like, yeah, we can sell these. <laughs> so I don't know how this works. Who the fuck were those people? Dude, they never showed up again. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Team Rocket. This should have been like a like a Monster of the Week cartoon. That would work really well, actually. Yeah. This series definitely had some room for improvement, and I'm very glad that My Hero Academia came out of it. So we can see the growing pains. So Jordan, why don't you lead us off talking about why it failed? First of all, I had a really hard time putting the plot together because I just feel like nothing happens. Yeah. There's really no growth in this comic uh, for any of the characters. Like, Hana has a moment where it's like, oh, she isn't clumsy anymore. But like, that's kind of it. The manga more or less starts at the same place it ends. It it doesn't feel like much has really happened, except now there's more animals. The author clearly wants me to like Sheena, and he also really wants me to like these characters, these animals. But every time I start to get to know the animals, all of a sudden Sheena shows up and and completely just grabs all the spotlight away from Hana, Hana's interactions with the animals, which I found to be a lot more interesting. And and as a result, it's just kind of like, I get the sense that the author thinks Sheena is a way better character than I do. Yeah, the author definitely thought 
he was the coolest. I also want to just point out a very low-hanging fruit is this series has a name that is very hard for people to pronounce. <laughs> and that is very bad if you want this series to be successful anywhere outside of Japan. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much inconsistency constant between like every section of this manga. Like the designs of the characters, even though I like them, they do not belong together in the same manga, like at all. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Igarashi, the seal, is just a seal that can talk. And he's got like some tuxedo markings. Uwabami, who is a snake, is just a sexy snake lady. And she's not even yeah. like a sexy snake lady. She's just a sexy lady that has like some snakes in her hair. She has exactly three snakes in her hair. And as I talked about, why is she the only like composite animal? Yeah, but also with her, well, for one, why isn't she going out more? Like there's a section where Hana is like, oh, you can't go out out to the public like that. And I'm just like, <gasps> why? She just looks like a person. That was why she was part of the circus team because she looked like a completely normal human. Yeah. She could even like just put on a hat and it would be fine. <laughs> Which the main character does. The bunny dude wears a hat. <laughs> yeah, which is insane because the entire conflict that Sheena has is that he's a human who wants to be a human again. And we have animals that seem to variably just look very human. Like, exactly. <laughs> it just kind of defeats the surprise, you know, and it makes it more confusing. Like there isn't really a visual um, separation between the cursed humans and the anthropomorphic animals. Hmm. Yeah, it's just stupid. Uh, yeah, and then the gorilla is just a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and then, though, to get into the actual plot, though, this series is like Barrage, where I had very little understanding of what was actually going on in some of the panels. There were definitely panels where I just kind of gave up trying to understand, and it gave a feeling where characters would just kind of teleport all over the place, because there was just very, very poor continuity in the actual structuring of each page. Absolutely. It was very confusing, and I honestly feel like the art just felt very rough when going from the one shot to the main series to me it just felt like uh, all of a sudden the lines got like less intricate there were less backgrounds and mm -hmm. yeah the overall composition took a big nosedive I, I suppose that that's because he was now suddenly working on a big timeline which is something we see a lot I think it's very true I also wanted to say I was very frustrated that the series did not discuss except for maybe like one throwaway panel the actual ethical dilemmas associated with keeping animals in such a capacity this came out in 2010. People were very much aware of the ethical issues associated with aquariums and zoos and circuses, and he still chose to not make that really relevant. In fact, it goes against it in saying, oh, look how happy these animals are. They live in a shitty cage you know, during the day, but at night they have fun, and it almost seems like it's pro-animal cruelty propaganda, and that he just doesn't care about this topic at all for his series. Well, it's even worse than that, because the point of the manga is often that it seems to be saying that circuses and aquariums are a abusive and bad. Or at least it's like, no, they, they just need to have, like, a nice slave master. Because, like, here's the problem. These aren't animals. These are people. They're characters, you know? The manga wants there to be, like, this strict hierarchy between humans and animals, and then it just never questions that, even though it is sort of constantly questioning that. Barrage kind of had the same thing, had the similar thing, where they had this very strong imperial central government, and then the world around in that city was fucking garbage and the manga is never like hey king maybe uh you're living in a pretty nice place so why is everybody around you living in squalor it just ignores it this author does not like dealing with t difficult topics but i think he thinks he is 
To be fair, though, I would say, even though I would have liked to see more about those difficult topics, I think for the genre he was focusing on, being something that's more lighthearted and comical, I'm guessing that he wanted to try and focus more on that rather than the more difficult issues. I totally get that. It's just frustrating. It's like he got like halfway there and then was just like, oh, I don't want to go there. I'm going to kind of turn back now. We don't deal with hard topics series. Yeah. <laughs> like slavery. <laughs> you don't deal with that or kidnapping. By the way, there's a scene where um they're at the zoo and they throw Sheena into a cage. We've seen Sheena like destroy so many things. And I don't think it ever makes an explanation for why Sheena can't get out of the cage other than he supposedly doesn't have enough room to break out of it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and then he just kind of gets out of the cage in a vague way anyway, so it didn't really matter. No. <laughs> in One Piece, when that happens, it's because the bars are made out of sea stone. Yeah, because he's a zone fruit user, which uh, in One Piece, some people have the ability to transform into a human, an animal, in a hybrid form, which is literally what the humans or the animals look like in this series, and sea stone prevents you from using your special abilities. So, maybe it was made out of sea stone, and legally he couldn't say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking, though, of One Piece, actually, I also want to note that this series had a lot of filler that I had never really noticed in manga before, where One Piece has this technique in the anime, they stretch out scenes by having everyone show everyone's reaction, even if it doesn't matter. And I noticed this series does this, where there's usually an extra, like, four or five panels of people just reacting to something happening, mm. so that the chapters are artificially longer than they need to be. Which was weird, because the chapters were usually 20 to 22 pages, while a lot of manga could do 16 to 18 as their average. So I don't know why he felt he needed to stretch out the pages in such a weird way. The fact is he was focusing on more of a battle manga genre, and I'm guessing to make it more like that, he was also looking at series like One Piece that really used that reaction tactic. But I still don't think it was entirely necessary, but I can understand that he might have just been following what is normal for that particular genre. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I totally agree. I feel like after a point, it's like, okay, great, you made a manga that's exactly like all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Did you guys have anything else in the why it failed section that you guys were really passionate that you wanted to talk about? So when they go to the circus, there's like this uh, toy poodle who turns into a cute girl and fights Uwabami for a bit. Mm -hmm. And just like, uh, she just really wants the approval of, I guess, her owner, because I guess she's a dog. And the thing that he does to like bring her around is he just calls her a fucking idiot. <laughs> Great, man. <laughs> Wonderful thing to tell to the girl who clearly is like in love with you. Wonderful. <laughs> His dog, who is actually, like, effectively a human woman. Yeah. This series has weird implications that I don't want to think about. <laughs> It's kind of like the Cars universe. If you delve too deep into how this series works, which is why this series probably never explains the mechanics of anything or its world, it is definitely not going to do so hot if you try and add any sense of consistency to the rules. You just reminded me of the biggest criticism I have of this series, which is the goddamn ending. There is this bullshit at the end where the bear guy says, yeah, I just took all the powers of my zoo animals and I guess they're dead now. And then all the animals from Omega Doki Zoo give Sheena their powers and we're supposed to think at that point, oh my god, they're all dead. Here's what I thought was going to happen and what I was hoping was going to happen. They would all be normal animals and then Sheena would turn into like a human being and it would be like this 
moment of growth. Like he's finally like an adult who has made it past the childhood he's been stuck in. And it, w- it would be kind of this metaphorical thing where like, okay, now he sees that these aren't just cartoon characters. They are actual animals. And then like maybe him and Hana wind up just running the zoo together. And I feel like that would have been a legitimately pretty satisfying ending. But no, mm-hmm. no, nothing. Uh-uh. Going back to the status quo. None of it matters. Yep. No one's dead. Actually, the bad guy's a good guy now, except not really. We just don't care about it. <laughs> It just felt like he ran face first into a good idea and was like, whoa, that's too much. Uh Uh-uh. We don't do good writing here. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it just feels bad to kill characters. And I think a lot of authors don't want to do that. Exactly. Midnight, though, I want to make sure you have a time to talk before we go into your section. So is there anything that's been troubling you about something you didn't like with the series? Even though I can see the series does have its flaws, I can also see a lot of good things. So I wish it did get a longer run. But I think one major reason why it could have failed was also because it may have been released at a time when there were a lot of other series that people deemed a lot better. I think that's fair. Yeah, as you mentioned, though, the fact that you thought this has a lot of good elements to it is a terrific segue into what it did well. David, why did you spell gorilla in your notes like like gorilla warfighter? <laughs> I'm using the uh, Canadian spelling. <laughs> oh, the horror. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> Yeah, eh? But Midnight, please do tell us, what did you think really stood out to you as some of the positives about this series? The character designs in this were something that I saw were really unique. I particularly like the characters in the aquarium, like Isana with like the whale design, but also Tekamaki, the tuna. <laughs> like, I don't know, I really liked her design, even though she's not really there as much. Her design just looked so cool. <laughs> <laughs> the series did have a lot of really fun characters. Like I said, I really thought the rhino and the gorilla uh, were two of my favorite. It's like the gorilla is kind of like got self-esteem issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except when he's fighting someone and he has a chance to crush his face with a hand, he's like, I can do this. This is my specialty. And he does it. He's like, yeah. And then he loses like an arm wrestling competition and he gets really sad. <laughs> I know. He's constantly being like, I'm sorry, I'm awkward. I- I'm awkward. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You're a good guy. That's okay, man. Yeah, exactly. There really were some really cool character concepts. There was a racist horse. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Who was like, I am an herbivore supremacist. (laughs) And he straight up says it like that, too. And then he like fights the elephant and he's like, oh, you are a fellow herbivore. You understand. And then the elephant like, no, fuck off. You're an asshole. And he still fights him anyway. (laughs) Have you read um, the Beastars manga? I have not. Well, he reminded me of a character that showed in the Beastars manga. And I was like, that's like him. That's great. Whoa, were you telling me that another character from Omegadaki Zoo got used? (laughs) Yeah, he just put this series in the public domain once it got cancelled. That would be cool, though. (laughs) Everyone can use this character design. (laughs) Yeah. I thought the lion looked pretty cool. I liked the lion a lot. Yeah, that was cool. I kind of wish the lion was more of the main character than Sheena was. I, mm-hmm. I actually thought his character was pretty good. I agree. And then he fights a giant white tiger that wields Tonfa. Yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yo, you're using weapons? That is cheating. <laughs> he's not wrong, though. That's that's a fair point. Yeah, it's cheating. What the hell? Yeah. And, and then on that note, I thought the fight scenes were actually pretty cool. I like them a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's never been an issue at My Hero Academia either. Like, when he tries, he can do a really good fight scene. Yeah, exactly. He is a good artist. Yeah, he's like Toriyama where he has really good, clean line work. Like, the art on a technical level isn't, like, the best art in Shonen Jump, but it's very polished. It's a very unique style, too. It's very different from a lot of other series out there. Like, I feel like I can see 
Horikoshi's art, and I could say, yeah, that's that's Horikoshi's art. Absolutely. He has a specific face, you know? Yep, and hands. Exactly. Oh, he's very good at drawing hands. He loves drawing hands. Drawing hands is, like, a difficult skill. It is. If you can draw good hands, it immediately elevates your art. Absolutely, yep. And he knows to flex it. Like, his My Hero Academia author icon is a hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he made a dude who's literally made out of, like, hands. The main bad guy. Oh, yeah, he did! (laughs) He is flexing the fuck out of the fact that he can draw hands like nobody's business. Any artist I can see that can draw hands well, I'm immediately, like, shocked. Hands are just so hard to draw. When I was first learning how to draw, I absolutely hated drawing the hands so much. Like, this was when I was a lot younger, like, I was... 12 or 13 or something. And so in every single drawing, I was hiding the character's hands. If they were holding a piece of paper, their hand was behind the paper. Or if I had the characters walking, their hands would always be behind their back. Oh my god, you did the Rob Liefeld technique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for context, Jordan, can you give some detail of the infamous Rob Liefeld? Oh, I would actually love to. Yeah, so Rob Liefeld um, was the most popular comic book artist of the entirety of the early 1990s. He created Deadpool. He created Deadpool. I think he created Cable. Deadpool and Cable are kind of the only two characters he made that anyone really cares about, and mostly because other writers wrote them better. But yeah, his whole thing was, like, the characters are, like, all these big, beefy dudes with, like, 50 guns on them at all times, and they have all really weird proportions. If you haven't seen it, then I recommend everybody Google search Rob Liefeld Captain America. And then if anybody was ever wondering in Deadpool why he makes fun of like these kind of tributes or in particular pouches, that is directly making fun of Rob Liefeld. He put pouches on people the way that Nomura from Final Fantasy puts belts on. <laughs> okay. Do you guys have more you wanted to say in positive? <laughs> Before we just keep talking about Rob Liefeld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't we talk about how Rob Liefeld would have made this series in what could have happened. Getting into what could have happened, I thought about maybe organizing my ideas into just like a two sentence pitch. So what I was thinking is make this the Dr. Stone of business school and zoology. So picture this. There's two main characters. We keep Pana. She is a freshman in business school and is trying to apply what she's learning in business school to actually make the zoo unironically successful from like a professional perspective while Sheena is actually like a professional zoologist. And so they have to work together for how do you create a successful zoo while also having to deal with the conflict of what's good for business may not be what's best for the animals. Hana is trying to kind of learn more about the animals and not see them just as, you know, something you can market, but rather that they are living, believing creatures and what's good for them. And the Dr. Stone element is that they could be both accurate in what's considered best practices from a business perspective, go into marketing, sales, but also from a zoology and actually talk about and maybe even be educational in that you're actually learning about the actual behaviors of the animals. And I feel like that's sort of what the author tries to do a little bit with Hana, mm-hmm. because when he has uh, Hana working with the animals, he does have Hana just be like, oh, here's a bunch of facts about this kind of animal. Mm. I totally agree. Like, I wish that they leaned into that. But what always happens is that Sheena shows up and just completely derails everything. Yeah. I was also thinking Dr. Stone. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like the, the driving plot seems to be let's improve the zoo, but they never really get into that. Yeah, the zoo is still a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, we've mentioned Dr. Stone a few times, so I'll just quickly summary. TLDR, Dr. Stone is about a super scientist who the entire world gets frozen into stone. He awakens 5,000 years in the future and says, shit, how do I rebuild society after we just had all of humanity kind of reset back to the stone? Yeah. Midnight, the thing you gotta understand is that my mom listens to this and my mom doesn't know what Dr. Stone is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's why David's explaining one of the most popular anime of all time right now. No worries. <laughs> I literally explained something about One Piece. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, to be fair, maybe someone doesn't know about Dr. Stone. Someone might not know. <laughs> and then you can say something like, are you under a rock somewhere, Dr. Stone? Eh? Wow. <laughs> I like this guest. <laughs> She's gonna go far, Midnight. If you ever want to take over Jordan's spot, oh, Jordan God. always shits on my uh, puns. <laughs> <laughs> that was a better pun than you usually make, David. To <laughs> be honest. <laughs> I guess you've really had have me between a rock and a hard place then. <laughs> hey! Not even a stone in a hard place? Come on. All right. Because she said rock. It's called heightening. Oh, okay, David. If you knew anything about comedy, you would know that. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. I knew five years of improv would be payoff, so yes and. Anyway, yes and. I, I, nope, I, I had it, but then I lost it. All right, Midnight, <laughs> what is your idea for how you would have turned the series around? Even though I like the battle manga concept, I guess I sort of thought of this because I'm usually not as big of a fan as of battle series, even though I like series like Naruto or One Piece. It's not usually the series that I usually go for. What I thought would have been really cool is to actually see this concept as more of, not slice of life per se, but something that focuses more on the animals in their daily lives and their struggles of having to be these cursed forms because I, even though I liked it we don't really see that you don't really see the characters struggles of being half human and half animal so it would have been interesting to have the zoo as a kind of slice of life thing where it's like here is my daily life as this human slash animal and what I have to do every single day because I'm like this yeah, I really like that. I actually did have as a note where I thought maybe don't make it combat oriented. And I listed as maybe be like a gag series with a zoo theme. Yeah. You know, there can do gags pretty well. I've, read, I've seen My Hero Academia. There was good physical comedy in Barrage. I remember that being a highlight. The funniest thing in the whole manga is actually in the first chapter where um, the first time we meet Sheena, he's pushing a giraffe into an elephant's mouth and the giraffe's head is coming out the elephant's ass. And it's never addressed. <laughs> they never bring it up. Nobody asks the elephant what was happening. I don't think the giraffe ever shows up again. The giraffe was just too traumatized afterwards. I would be too. <laughs> he didn't want to draw the spots. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. It's too much work. Yeah. What I think would have been interesting is what if the animals didn't like Sheena? Mm. What if they were like, yeah, this zoo kind of sucks. This place is frustrating. And Sheena is still this immature asshole. And he brings Hana in. And Hana, through creating a connection with the characters there, is able to increase their connection with Sheena. Basically, I'm saying this should have been Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. No. But then you could just watch Beauty and the Beast instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that has less shonen fight scene. <laughs> Imagine a shonen fight scene in Beauty and the Beast. That would be interesting, actually. That would rule. That would rule. <laughs> what is the most shonen Disney movie? Treasure Planet? That is true. I mean, yeah. So I think we're already kind of leaning into the miscellaneous thoughts. So let's fully migrate into that topic. So Jordan, why don't you take it away with some of the things that have been on your mind while you're reading the series? Am I the only one who thought it was super weird that the rhino had a crush on a snake? I thought that was pretty odd, yeah. <laughs> Because obviously while we're reading it, it's like, okay, that makes sense. This is a guy and Ubami is obviously like a really hot lady. But the manga tells us, no, these are at their core still just animals. So it is literally a rhino having a crush on a snake. And every time that was brought up, it just really confused and weirded me out. Yeah, because they very explicitly are like they turn into normal animals. They don't retain anything from their time as a human. Again, I want to say this series is definitely playing by Cars rules where if you think about it too much, nothing makes sense. So you just need to like just accept it. Yeah, that's fair. But some things I just can't accept, David. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> 
I had this thought, and David, you brought this up too, that My Hero Academia seems to be the exact plot that works for this guy. Because he makes all these crazy designs that don't go together, and it, mm. it doesn't fit here. They don't work together. But in My Hero Academia, you could absolutely get away with that. It works totally well there, because all the characters just inherently look very different. It's perfect. Yeah. He also got lucky that this is a trope that's overdone in Western comics, but this was considered a very creative idea in Japan. Yeah. That's true. Because <laughs> there's top 10, there's Astro City. Top 10 rules. Top 10 is a great series if you had a chance at Midnight. That was a series by Alan Moore, who is a very famous comic writer. He made Watchmen, and he was like, let's create a comic where it's a world of superheroes, and that is like the world of superheroes comic to read. Yeah. Go, I'll check it out. Why don't we move to the final verdict? So Jordan, how would you describe this series in six words. Abusive bosses are good within reason. Ooh, that's really good. Did you make that one in advance? No. Damn, I'm impressed. I made it uh, about 20 minutes into this recording. So yeah, Midnight, Jordan doesn't actually do his in advance like 80% of the time. Oh, yes. <laughs> How about you, Midnight? I didn't know if it was supposed to be like six separate words or a sentence, so I just chose six separate words. <laughs> yeah, hey. That's fine. But basically my six separate words are unique, lively, pleasant, wild, entertaining, and funny because I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was unique. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I like that. Don't worry. It's like I cheat a lot sometimes where I'll like say punctuation account like in this case oh yeah you're cheating on this one i actually i had technically a three-word summary that i liked way too much that i just didn't want to add extra words to it yeah but technically by saying six word summary that's three words so here it is <laughs> six word summary my hero's utopia <laughs> i really couldn't make that six words because that was just perfect yeah <laughs> Oh my god. Can David make a six-word summary so good not even Jordan can shit on it? <laughs> that one's in the Hall of Fame. Usually like 80% of the time when I'm really proud of one, you guys are like, okay, that's neat. All right, let's move on. I mean, I feel like the thing to shit on there is ob is like obvious. You said six-word summary as three of the words. That's Yeah, <laughs> I am really, really finding a way to change the meta of six-word summaries. Damn, all right. <laughs> These fucking modders, I swear to God podcast speedrun. I did a no-clip <laughs> sequence and you can drop three of the words from your six-word summary and you get a frame-perfect cancellation. It's like jazz. You can break the rules after you learn them. Exactly. 20 episodes in, I'm feeling good about that. But anyway, finally, let's get into flop or not. Midnight, why don't you lead us off? Because I think you're going to disagree a bit with me and Jordan. So I'd love to hear your flop. Well, I didn't think it was a flop because I enjoyed it. I only wish it had a longer run because I did see that there could have been a lot of potential for this, but I just felt like because it didn't get the time it needed it was sort of rushed at the end and then it didn't get to tell the full story and so I do wish the creator would maybe look at this again in the future and try telling the story again but maybe telling it from their mind now maybe they would have improved with those little bits that we talked about and why it failed and I think that would be a lot more interesting uh, so Jordan though would you say this one was a flop yeah, this is a this is a certified flop. It just kind of felt like, aside from the premise, it didn't really bring anything new to the table. And aside from the character designs, I don't think I'll ever think about this series again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would say this is a certified flop. I had no fun reading this series, though to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of My Hero Academia anyway, so he's probably not the writer for me, because I know people really love that series. But yeah, I think for the same things Jordan said, and then also just, there was a lot of technical issues, there was a ton of filler, the plot was very thin and so we had to clearly stretch things out unless you're a really big micro academia and you want to see and probably actually there's going to be more character designs he's going to import in so you can get sneak peeks 
fine with because there's nothing wrong with most of these character designs. Some of them are great. Yeah. And then Midnight, what would you say is your favorite series and how would you say Zoo compares to it? Well, the thing is, my favorite genres are very different from this genre. My favorite <laughs> genres are usually something more like psychological. So it's 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 very different. But instead, I do have some series here that I wanted to recommend that are kind of like this one so that if people enjoyed this series, they might also enjoy those ones. If you like series with animal-focused characters, you might like series like Animal Land by Makoto Raikou or another series called A Centaur's Life, which is by Kei Moriyama, which is about a centaur's life. <laughs> Their daily life going to school is a centaur. That sounds great. I know. There's also um, A Magi Brilliant Park by Shoji Gato, which is about a rundown theme park that is in danger of shutting down. But instead of zoo animals, it is populated by fairies. Ooh. Oh, that's really cool. And then how about you, Jordan? It's tough for me to think of like something to recommend that's like this. The mm -hmm. only thing I keep thinking of is actually a podcast called We'll Get It Right Next Year, where for one year, two hosts try and figure out the plot of We Bought a Zoo without having seen it. <laughs> so listen to that, because I like that podcast. I'm looking forward to them being guests on our show. And then on my end, I had two recommendations. So mine is if you want to see like dumb animal people fighting, there's Terraform Mars, which is probably one of the stupidest shows that's ever been created in the history of mankind. <laughs> Imagine if Gantz was dumber. Whoa. <laughs> What? Okay, so here's the plot. No way. I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch, watch. Observe. So, it's set in the future. Humanity is trying to terraform Mars. They dump, like, a spaceship with a bunch of plants on it and cockroaches. And cockroaches? <laughs> what? But over time, the cockroaches have evolved into super powerful monster men that literally look like people with cockroach heads that look kind of like super strong bodybuilders, like they look like the pillar men from part two of Jojo. <laughs> so humanity, though, says, oh, no, we have to deal with this. And they send astronauts who have been fused with animals to gain their super abilities <laughs> to fight these cockroaches in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Wow. <laughs> So you meet people that are like half tiger, half like grasshopper. This dude was like, he's part mantis shrimp and he got fucked over. And I was so pissed because I was waiting for the mantis shrimp dude to just kill everyone. But like I said, it's Gantz, which is a series literally about people playing like a life or death game to kill people. Super Eye Patch Wolf has a great video on it. I won't take the time to go into why that series is really dumb, but somehow even dumber. Gantz is the most needlessly edgy thing I've ever read. And yet Terraform Mars is even dumber. Also, I had an unironic recommendation where I wanted to recommend Pride of Baghdad. That's a good book, yeah. Really great comic book about animals surviving in a zoo during Baghdad bombing. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, so it's from the perspective of four lions trying to escape from the chaos of war. It's based on like a somewhat true story where a bunch of lions escaped from the Baghdad Zoo and the and like the US military had to put them down, but it's from the perspective of the lions mm. it's really good actually yeah it's by brian k vaughn who created why the last man right yeah i read it in school so shout out to mr v for introducing me to that book when i did his <laughs> elective series on comic books but anyway jordan since we consider this a certified flop would you say this is the worst thing we have ever read for the show absolutely not yeah this is bad but it's not beast children bad and i actually i don't think beast children is our worst series anymore right it's um we might disagree on our worst series. I think it might be uh, Bone Collection. We said Tokyo Shinobi Squad was the worst thing we've ever read. It's tough between Bone Collection and Tokyo Shinobi Squad. They're both terrible. Tokyo Shinobi Squad has worse politics, but there's just, like, nothing good about fucking Bone Collection. Bone Collection? I've never heard of that. 
It's a manga where the main character gains superpowers by groping his girlfriend and pulling her bones out. Wow, okay. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Jordan is wrong. He doesn't grope his girlfriend. He gropes his fiance, Jordan. Sorry. Because she right. forcibly tries to marry him. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. While he's a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. Wow. <laughs> It's a really bad manga. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Beast Children, though, is the most, I would say, like, you don't have to really judge it to know it's terrible. It is just the most blatantly terrible thing we've read. While other things have excelled at being substantially worse in certain areas. Like, Beast Children has legitimately the worst drawn series we've ever read it for Shonen Flop. Yeah. Beast Children was just our first really, really terrible manga. So it, it's, it has, like, a special place in my heart. <laughs> And that's a fun episode. Dan Pacora was a great guest. Yeah. So speaking, though, of other podcasters, let's turn things to the shoutouts. So I want to start by giving props to Jordan for making the awesome opening ending theme you heard on this episode. I want to give props to Jennifer for the awesome cover art. You can find her online at Art by Toast and Nigel for being our generous art benefactor. I want to thank Tucker for his assistance with the pronunciation, translation, and other miscellaneous research. Be sure to check out Shonen Flop Gaiden, his companion series, which goes into further detail. On each of the series we cover here on Shonen Flop, which comes out two days after this episode's release, I also want to give a shout out to Miriam, Nicole, and Audie for helping with social media. And I also want to remind you, if as we said at the start of this episode, if you've been enjoying listening to Shonen Flop, it really does mean a lot if you could share the episode with your friends, just post it on social media, or give us a review in the iTunes store. It really does help us a ton. We've been seeing some great growth, and we're really still working towards that goal of trying to get a thousand listeners a week. Yeah. And then I want to, above all, thank you, Midnight, for joining us on the show today. Where can they find you? So you guys can find me on YouTube. I'm on youtube.com slash c slash Midnight X Cross. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but on YouTube, I am primarily making videos on how to create manga. So I talk about manga structure, I talk about script writing, and talking about how to create good page compositions. So I'd really appreciate it if you check it out there. That's awesome. I think I found you because I saw your video on Guardian of the Witch. Yes, yes, I did make a video on that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember David showing me that video. It's a good video. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank David for editing. He does a great job. He he puts together the structure of this show, and it, it's great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Well, thank you, Jordan. And thank you thank you so much for having me here as well. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate it. I know we've been talking about having you on the show for, what, like four months at this point? Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have, like, a six-month backlog because we only do two episodes a month, and so we just, like, we're like, yeah, we should have Ron. Oh, we don't have any openings till February. <laughs> 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 As for shoutouts, I would like to give a shout-out to a podcast called The F Plus, where they read really bad things from the internet. And their most recent episode was just reading the uh, Wikipedia page for the Super Nanny fandom, creating their own fan fiction. <laughs> That's oh, a thing? <laughs> it is. I shouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> And then on a similar note, I actually want to give a shout out to a friend of mine. He is on a show called Faustian Nonsense. They have just released their first full season of the Lavender Tavern, an anthology of original fairy tales with a queer bent. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to give a shout out to Three Hours Later. It's a podcast where they start an online argument between friends and then just record it to see what happens as the argument goes on. If this show wasn't enough of me and my host fighting with each other, you should definitely check them out. No, I'm just kidding. They're a great show. And then I'm just going to run some promos. This is Dr. Mystery from the cabinet of Dr. Mystery. Join me as we explore the horrors of the world. From true crime, unexplained disappearances, and alien abductions, to Satanism, cults, and the paranormal, our cabinet holds the mysteries of the universe. Visit us at notwhatwesay.com 
or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song, or at least learn something new along the way. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. Subscribe to That Song From That Movie. Thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. This has been David. This has been Jordan. This has been Midnight. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, floppers. Mm-hmm.